Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Are bestsellers all they're hyped up to be? The Terrible Book Club explores whether or not you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. If you've ever seen a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Welcome to episode 46 of the Terrible Book Club. This time we read Zarstor's Bane by Andre Norton. Andre? Andre? Uh, It's Andre. Uh, Okay. Well, um, I'm Chris and this is Paris. Hello. If this is your first time tuning into the Terrible Book Club, what we do here is we read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination thereof. So we're forcing ourselves to read books that we would never otherwise choose to read. Usually this experiment results in a hilariously disappointing read, although once in a great while a book comes through that at least partially subverts our assumptions. This time we read, like I said, Zarstor's, Zarstor? As in like Zarstor's. Zarstor. Yeah, like Arthur, but Zarthor. Z-A-R-S-T-H-O-R apostrophe. Zarstor's Bane. I picked this book up when I went to L.A. over the summer. Um, I found it at Amoeba Records. They had literally like this little random trolley. Oh, you found this at Amoeba? Yeah. You didn't say That's, that. I told you many oh, times God I damn found it. it no, at Amoeba no, Records. No, you told me you went to a random ass bookstore. No, I said Amoeba God Records. God damn it. Any, anyway, that's fucking cool. Continue. Yeah. So they had just like a, this like cart that was like next to the, uh, the register and it had just like dollar a pop old sci-fi books in it. And this is one of four that I picked up. It's uh, We haven't read any of the others yet. And they're all pretty stuff. They're just like random 60s to 70s sci-fi pulp things. Um, and I decided to pick this one particularly because it has illustrations. Yeah. I don't, I don't know who did the illustrations. Oh, it, it says it in the cover of the book. Oh, okay. Um, so the illustration, the illustrator was, sorry, I'm just flipping. Um, says this was illustrated by Evan Tenbrook Stedman. Um, his middle name or first last name. I I don't know. Tenbrook is T E N, then capital B R O E C K. So Evan Tenbrook Stedman Tenbrook. I, I'm not actually sure. I'm pronouncing There's that a lot correctly. Of weird pronunciation um, things that we can get into about this book because yeah, yeah. it's like a pretty uh, in the sort of tradition of Lovecrafty sort of like weird trippy fantasy. Mm, I, I would say there's definitely not... Lovecraft influence in here for sure. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I would say a lot bit. Um so we're we're so we're fast forwarding ten years uh into the future from our last episode. So last episode, uh the book was written in nineteen sixty eight. This came out in nineteen seventy-eight. Oh. Um so nineteen seventy eight, um I mean Ace put out a lot of books like this. Um they did a lot of those like double books, kinda like the one that we yeah. read a few episodes ago, although that wasn't published by them, but um it was made in the vein of kind of an old um Ace fantasy book and um can i can i can i tell them chris can i tell them how i feel go ahead i love i loved this book <laughs> i loved it i, I want to keep reading more i know it <laughs> might be a first on terrible book club yeah this is a good like just well, it's not a first yeah, i mean you always want to you always want to say it's first not maybe first. but like this is the one that like uh, undeniably i would say is a pretty good book there's still some issues i i have yeah with it but it's definitely not as uh, bad as the issues I've had with most of the other things that we've read for this show. I was entertained for the 200 or so pages that this book yeah. was. I was interested in finding out more about the adventures of Brixia and Uta, yep. our main two characters. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let, me, uh, let me give the summary here. Um, she. So this is the summary of the book, um, actually inside the front cover. She had been a lady, clothed in silk and gold, until the invaders came and laid waste to High Halleck. Now she wandered the desolate wilderness, her only companion a hunting cat, her only hope survival. But then, in a deserted keep, two strangers appear. 
a young squire and his master, a man whose wandering wits have brought him all the way from the edge of a fatal battle, back across the painful miles to the origin of a legend, a mystic song whose words only he remembers. And despite her doubts and her ever-growing fear, Brixia finds herself drawn inexorably into that web of ancient mystery, until at last she must stand alone in the lost city of Anyak, the nexus of a struggle for ultimate power between the forces of green magic and the terrible power of Zarsor's bane. So, um... Yeah, so Brixia and Uta, like Chris was saying, are our main characters. So Brixia uh, was some kind of high-ranking lady in this world. Um, so you don't really get a full sense of the world. I believe um, the it's, author it wrote several like, books kind of in this It this seems world. like it's part of the Witch World series yeah. that Andre Norton does, which I mm-hmm. guess is just like weird fantasy world for on, like you know that he came up with in particular. I mean, but it, it kind of... it's. And the thing is, like, you can't really make any assumptions because you don't... I mean, the names sound a little Anglo-Saxon, and then some of them sound a little Norse, so it's probably your classic sort of, like, British Isles, uh, Scandinavia, medieval setting, but it's not explicit. Um, That's just my making guesses. topology changes and, like, different biomes that are (laughs) Yeah, you could say. Um, So, so, so yeah, Brixia was some kind of high-ranking lady... um, in this world and then some invaders came and fucking just destroyed everything and took over and so she i mean from what she says in the books it's like one day she was a lady and the next day she was running for her life through the wilderness and it's been three years since then and she's just like a nomadic lone wild woman because society has gone to shit, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't um, seem like there's a lot of settlements that are populated at all. She's dodging like raiding bands sometimes. Yeah. She's very wary of like any human contact whatsoever. Yep. So it's just her and she has this cat. There's a hunting cat named Uta. And it seems like Uta just kind of like found her one day and decided to hang yeah. out with her. Like, yeah. um, and so, it, it's interesting because uh, the writing is, like, pretty good. I mean, there were some, like, there were some minor, like, uh, editing issues, but really minor. It's like, once in a while, there'd be, like, a misspelling or, like, a sentence would have a comma instead of a period or something. But most, mostly it was fine. Yeah. It was fine. Um, and it's told from the point of view of Brixia, the whole story. Very capable female character. Yeah, she's very capable. She's strong without being... Without it being like overdone, yeah, you know she's not like fucking Wonder Woman, you know, which no, I which I think just is dumb. This woman that's been living in the wilderness for three years and very self reliant, yeah. but still craves some sort of like usually it's, she's relying on Uta for her social contact. You yeah. could say, yeah, she so she talks to the cat, the cat and her hunt together. Very self sufficient, you know, reasonable motivations. A human being, lady character. Yeah, yeah, very. I loved the depiction of Brixia and Uta, and like her and Uta's relationship is cool because Uta's not like a house cat you know and she's not i think uta might be a little magical but oh, like sure. but like we're not totally positive there's like a little bit of a question about that yeah that's kind of like more my more my only issues with this book is there's a lot of stuff that like it just worked that way well this is also a part of like a of series and we've we're only reading a part of it true so there might be some pre-established lore yeah. or whatever but for the most part it just you have to accept just a lot of things work this way because it does. I, I don't know why I didn't feel like it was that problematic, though. Like, like the whole cat thing, like, Uta... Um, seems to be leading Brixia. Yeah, it seems to be leading Brixia, and I don't have a problem with that. Like, I don't no, think there's fine. anything wrong with it. Yeah. But it does It does make you wonder, like, oh, is, is Uta just, like, a really smart cat, or is she, like, another being? Like, which she might be, and you don't get that question answered, which is fine with me. I think that was cool and interesting. Um, so anyway, Brixia and Uta are, like... I mean, literally, Brixia talks about, like, how all she can do is live her life in the moment and day by day because her life is just With staying my alive. Next meal, yep. I'm not dead cool. Yeah, that's literally... And she talks about kind of how there's almost a sense of, um, like, peace and stability in living her life that way that she didn't have before because, you know, her life before was all about fucking finery and living in a fancy castle and... um. She was a lady of nobility before, yeah. and now she's a, a wild forest woman who was accepted, just rolled with it as best as she could. Yeah. She talks about, like, when initially she was like, how am I going to do anything? You know, she wasn't used to it at all. Yeah. But she fucking, I guess, just... Womaned up. Yep, and did womaned it. up yep. and just went for it and has been living okay ever since. Yeah, like, she's had to make her own clothes out of hide and, like, 
Let's um, talk about so, <laughs> clothing. <laughs> so, the honestly, the only problem I have with this book really is that the illustrator and the author had totally different visions for something. I don't know if they had any contact whatsoever. Right. If the illustrator just got, like, the manuscript of the book to draw with. That, that's what I'm assuming. I'm assuming the publisher, Ace, probably hired the illustrator. I I mean, that's I'm guessing, but... Some of the illustrations are really neat. There's yeah, some, some of depictions good. of like magical stuff going on later that looks yeah. really cool. Well, um, we'll put some of the pictures up on the Instagram when we when this episode comes out. They're definitely worth looking at. Some of them though are okay, just terrible illustrations. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's it almost seems like different people did the illustrations at times. Like some of them are really good, and then some of them are like, what the There's fuck? One like, in particular <laughs> of a a dark hallway. With a beam of light supposedly cutting through it, the page might as well be someone scribbling <laughs> across it with a pencil for a little bit yeah. and just leaving one spot blank. Yeah, like that that page, and there were a couple of other ones where it, it just didn't seem like they were drawn by the same person. Because some of the other art is really well done, but so much of it seems like it's in a different style. Like I said, like I don't yeah. know what the hell is going on with the illustrations. And like aside from that, some of the depictions of things are very questionable. First and foremost, oh, the yeah. hugest issue is the way that Brixia is clothed in the illustrations versus the way she is described as being clothed in the book. In the text, she's described as having like breeches on and like some kind of white shirt that she took from like a fallen soldier or something. Yeah, like she has tousled brown hair that's like sort of like you know she doesn't have a comb or anything. Yeah, so like, it's not doesn't look. Let me see if I can find some of the. Um, it says. Her hands were sun-browned and scarred, the nails of her fingers broken, rimmed with a grime, which even scrubbing with sand could not banish entirely. It was hard, it was very hard to think now that once all she had held was the spindle of a spinner or the shuttle of a weaver, the needle of one who wrought pictures and colored threads upon the thick stuff meant to cover the walls of a keep. Another girl had known that living, soft and secure, in the high hallock before the invaders came. Someone who had died during the time stretching behind her like a corridor, the far end of which was so faint in her mind that she had difficulty remembering. Um, I don't know. There, there's some other details about what she looks like. It's like um, a page or two later where it describes her breeches. Oh, yeah. Her- she was as lean and strong as a bow cord. She had no spare flesh on her. Uh, so, in like I said, in, in, in the text she described as this like very dirty, wild woman sort of thing. Yeah, because she's been living coarse, on her own. Coarsened over the years and everything. In the illustrations... She is a very pale, extremely clean, dark, straight-haired lady with, with Asiatic features. With Asiatic features and uh, like a hide bikini. Yeah, uh, and, and it's so strange it's because like she's a loincloth and, and a, a bra. bra yeah, and that's not skin everywhere else. And she has like a spear and like a knife, which is like about the only thing that mirrors what she has in the actual text. Uh, yeah, like some other details from the text, she has sun bleached hair sawn off raggedly at her neck level. In the it's illustration, not... it is extremely dark hair, and it's well like, past her shoulders. Yeah. And it's it's yeah, like what the fuck? And it, 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 she has bare feet in the book, and she has bare feet in the illustrations too, which is the only she other thing. Ma- well, she makes sandals at one point. She doesn't she, use them all the time. Yeah, though. yeah. She only and wears she, them sometimes. She, she only wears them like once or twice, essentially, when it's like a mat because her feet are become so calloused over time, and she's just in the woods all the time anyway. Well, yeah, and you only want to you want to conserve the footwear you have because if you wear it too often, it's going to wear out, and then you're going to have nothing. So she she only reserves it for like when ground is like really difficult, like but, terrain yeah, is really. Difficult. I don't know what the why the illustrator decided to draw like yeah i have no idea asian um, bikini spear woman yeah which is nothing like the main character and honestly i i really liked the way that the illustrations worked in this book as much as we have a problem with their depiction of brixia being totally fucking off the wall bananas like makes no sense and the fact that a lot of the like uh illustration to illustration the art style seems to sometimes wildly differ and not for the better uh at all times i loved the illustrations because they kind of it's not like um you know how in a regular book you have illustrations and it's just like text and then one of the pages will be an illustration and then more text and like a whole page of an illustration that's not what they did in this book sometimes you get a full page or a double page illustration and then but then at other times you just get like 
some birds across the page where there's still text and like the bottom of a page will have like vines on it or something um and cat the text will footprints, be yeah cat footprints a picture um, of the sandal she used when she was putting them on yeah like i really loved the way that they integrated the drawings into the story there's one that's like a, that it seems just like a random was supposed to be a full page thing just randomly shoved in in like oh. the bottom right corner <laughs> of some text it's just like brixie is standing there with like her hand on her hip or something yeah, yeah. i don't even know what that illustration was of because there's a couple of illustrations that i have no idea from the text like words they came there's one of like this lady with like kind of wild tously hair looking over her shoulder i think she's naked yeah and this comes in like a banquet scene or something later And there's a bunch of people in the hall but none of the people described look like this lady would have been this lady and some of the people i suspected would have been this lady have other illustrations that are definitely those yeah yeah so like that's also another weird thing that happens where you're like what the fuck is this and then there's the (laughs) Our favorite illustration oh, of Hillary and Bill Clinton being assaulted by uh, no, avian breasts. They're, thinking, I I, they're both thinking about there's a, <laughs> there's a creature that appears in this book that's basically has a woman's body except for bird arms and bird head and maybe some tail feathers. Oh, and, and actual feathers like her arms. Yeah. 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 And like she, the rest of it's just a naked lady. So it's like the centerpiece is like a pair of boobs with like arm wings and then at the bottom left, a lady that looks exasperated, that looks kind of like Hillary Clinton. And then the top right, a face that just looks kind of like Bill Clinton with a lecherous gaze. <laughs> I have no other way to describe it. Check out our Instagram because that one's definitely going yeah, up there. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely putting that one up there. have to censor that because I don't think you allow, you know, you can't show actual boobs on Instagram, I think. <gasps> what are, why are people afraid of breasts? They give There's milk to children. There's plenty of Instagram models that they show basically everything. So I think, I, I don't know, maybe because it's in a book, it's it'll be allowed. No, You'll I'll see. Just, I'll just I don't put, know, maybe you have to take an uncensored version. You have to buy your own copy, people. Hey, I'll just I'll just put something over the nipples that should do it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I, there was just something like like I said, I loved the placement of the illustrations. I liked that it was illustrated. However, I think the illustrator was so divorced from the book itself that he kind of he fucked read with read some of it. Yeah, because how else would he have gotten some of these very specific images? But like, I don't understand why the styles differ so wildly. Rixie's clothing is the most infuriating to me because yeah, in her physical and her physical it's form, it's an unnecessary like change just to titillate a little bit. Even though this story has nothing to do with titillation, which is why I loved There's it. There's no romance. No, I love it. There's no romance. It's, it's great. It's just an adventure story about this lady who runs into a couple of weirdos. Why don't All we- right, yeah. So Brix, uh, yeah, sorry, we kind of strayed from the from uh, the description of the story. So Brixie and Uda are just going about their every day. And, you know, while Brixie is kind of like, you know, she she's has to be really careful as she's walking around because, like we we're saying, you know, civilization is kind of not happening right now. Like, civilization's not really a thing, it seems, in High Halleck. And so she's watching out for bands of raiders, you know, be, trying to make sure she doesn't get, like, raped or captured or whatever, enslaved. So she's really careful how she walks around, um, you know, checking everything all the time, like, being really careful um listening intently so she's just she's just kind of would be yeah brutish and yeah so she's just kind of like talking through like how her day is and like thinking about uda and she she often thinks about um kunigod yeah she had a Uh, mentor i think or her was her her mom or her nurse it was like her nurse slash like tutor of like weird witchy shit because kunigod um, sort of introduced her to some like sort of occult ideas and like the po- possibility of magic. I think she yeah, but she like doesn't even realize that fully until the end of the book. Like yeah. she doesn't get that she was being groomed, basically. Yeah, essentially un- just sort of pointed in the direction of bigger knowledge than the immediate world around her. And I think Kunigod in the court was regarded as sort of like, oh, she's weird and witchy. She was, I think she was a wise woman or yeah, something. She, I think I, it was, a, it was like her nurse or something, or like wet yeah, nurse yeah. maybe or something like that. But anyway, Brixia sort of took tutelage unbeknownst to her from this lady, and she thinks back to her often because some weird shit starts happening to her. Well, she just thinks that she's just remembering, and then yeah, so she starts to put things together. So they come upon. This older guy who looks like maybe he's a knight or a lord, uh, Maven. It's in a ruins Maven. tower. They're sort of making camp in a ruins tower. Yeah, and she she comes up on the tower and she's like, "Oh, this might be a cool place." But she's like, "I don't know. It, there might be other, you know, pe- other people might be raiding here." And she sees this this guy, Ma- Mabon or Mabin? Marvin. 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 Yeah. Lord Marvin. Lord Marvin. And this young boy, younger boy, teenager, I think, who's yeah. like helping him. Uh, <laughs> His name is unfortunately 
Dwed. 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 Um, which you better watch out, Mister. I'm a real dwed. <laughs> which like you don't find out until fucking like like the end of the book practically. Most of like, the book, he's just the boy. Yeah, he's just the boy, and then you find out his name, and I was like, wow, that was a really unfortunate <laughs> wasn't reveal. Worth the build up. Yeah, dwed. Um, I'll just call him the boy because yeah. dwed sounds really silly. Um, so she sees you know this lord and this boy, and she you know she hides because she's like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't want to deal with people because basically any person is dangerous you're a lone person in the world you got a cat and a spear but like you know chances aren't great um but she notices that the lord seems like really out of it and the boy is is like oh come on but like we're home like this is you know this is like your your home like we're here you know do you remember anything and the boy is trying to get lord marvin to remember I guess his life because he he seems to be fixated on uh, I don't know something else you know he he start whenever he does talk he talks about things that aren't there about people that aren't there his old friend Jartar yeah Yartar or Jartar or however you want to say it um he keeps talking about Jar- Jartar or Yartar who is who the boy is like you know Jartar's dead yo like fucking goddamn it like he gets Focus so mad here. he's like he's like he's dead and he's like and Marvin just like. I don't know. So, so Brixia is intrigued. She's like, "Look, I know this isn't a good idea. Like, I know I shouldn't interact with them, but this is weird." It's also you know? because Uta runs towards them. Yeah, the cat. Her cat runs out to them, and the boy is like, "Ooh, a kitty! Like, here, puss, here, puss!" And she's like, "Son of a bitch! Don't take my cat!" Yeah, it's like my only friend. God damn it! <laughs> and so they go off somewhere deeper into the ruin, and the cat follows them. So then Brixia is like, "Shit! I guess I have to." And so she interacts with them, and it's like tense at first um but then a raiding party arrives and they decide like oh shit i guess we gotta escape just they because they set a fire the boy and lord marvin and And brixia sees them after because she left for a bit after like a tense sort of greeting and then she comes back and she's like you you idiots the raiders are gonna come they're already coming anyway look i'll just help you defend this place you're like clearly you're an idiot you're setting this huge fire (laughs) to draw people to your location like you guys need some help so um they're trying to escape and somehow lord marvin i forget why but he like comes to for a hot minute and is like oh yes the secret lever in the wall we can escape here and everyone's like what the f- all right cool but like what the fuck and this like, is the first instance of the book where stuff just works out like it, yeah it, he just it knew and like it, it would be fine if that was like the one time because he's supposedly in his homeland this is his Egger, home eggersdale yeah but this this building was like his uh, home yeah. that's why he knew about that switch but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was like really good that he came to and realized that at that point in time when they needed him to. But um, so they go down, they go through this like secret passage in the wall and shots behind them and whatever. They're they're fine. And then uh, I don't actually what happens. They crawl time? through the dark tunnel. That's where that shitty illustration of a tunnel happens. Oh, and then they're like along a cliffside for a bit. Yeah. And then basically the Lord Marbin, uh, Dwed the boy and Uta is kind of ahead the cat, with them. Yeah. And they get way ahead of Brixia to the point where she can't even see them anymore. Right. But she kind of knows their general trail. Yeah. So she they get separated just because they're like running away and it was unfamiliar terrain. And um, they get so far separated that Brixia is like, shit, I, I don't know. And then she thinks she sees Uta's tracks. And so she follows them. And then things start they're getting a little wacky basically every point after in this book it might as well have been like brixia ate some weird leaves and now she's tripping the f out i mean because the scenery changes rapidly yeah she's stuff like is just weird shit happens around her at all points so yeah it's like basically like a trippy lovecraft style journey yeah yeah she she gets to this place and she's like okay uh that definitely moved that wasn't there a minute ago yeah like the, the in, landscape is constantly shifting she was in like a foresty swampy thing at first here's another illustration thing that irked me when like she was describing walking through a bunch of bushes yeah. that were like needly and stuff and the illustration is her walking through like some kind of like reverse venus flytrap yeah i don't like yeah, leaf that's, thing that doesn't not... look at all like what was described no anyway she goes from that to like a desert all of a sudden like without warning almost. yeah yeah and in the in the swampland she has her first kind of negative encounter like first she has this shifting landscape to kind of like contend with and she's like all right fuck i need to like keep my bearings about me even though at this point she's like really hungry and tired because she'd been walking for a really long time and you know i don't even know that 
I think the last time she had eaten was like the day before or something. Yeah, before even the raider attack. Yeah, yeah. And so she's like, okay, this is, you know, like, and by, and by the landscape shifting, I mean, literally, like, she would look to her left, there would be like, um, uh, not, like a ma- yeah, mounds of dirt, and then it would like appear on her right side, and then like it would move and like get in front of her, and she was like, "Fuck, I'm being herded!" Like, oh my god, I need to pay attention. And then, um, she sees like a white thing in the distance, like a tree. Uh, I can't remember exactly. It's a big tree with white buds, yeah, with, yeah, like, flowering and things coming off of it. Like, and so she can see that in the distance, but like, meanwhile, she encounters these fucking frogs and these like tall, hairy frogs. Yeah, and these frogs like menace her, and there's a huge group of them, and they're big. You know, they're not. They're like, have you ever seen a cane toad? They're probably even bigger than that. They're like d- little dog or cat size. And they're supposedly standing and dancing around her. In the text, in the illustration of them, they're like on all fours, kind of. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're a little different in the in the book, actually. But um, they're like menacing her, and they're surrounding her, and she's like, "All right, I got." So she's like, "I don't know. I guess I'm gonna book it to this tree because it it has these weird white buds. I don't know. It doesn't look evil. Like she's literally just hoping yeah. that it won't kill her." And she gets the tree and she ends up being right because the frogs can only get so far. They can't go under the branches of the tree. So the flowers you know, the, are casting light. Right. The tree and the tree, you know, has all these. I, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with what a tree in bloom <laughs> looks like. So there's kind of this circle around the tree at the very edges of the of the foliage. And like Chris is saying, you know, it's producing this white light and the tree is keeping the frogs at bay. And so eventually they, the frogs are like, well, fuck this. She's not going to leave the tree, so we're going to peace out. I think she actually grabs she grabs one of the buds yep. and, like, waves it in front of them, and they, like, actually back away. Yeah. Um, and then probably the weirdest scene in the book happens. She goes back to the tree, is thankful to it, and then proceeds to make out with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the only scene in the book where I was like... Oh, I wish this hadn't happened. That the, was weird. The chief is like, "Thank you, Mother Tree." She knew something like to, to be thankful to life because of Kunigod's sort of. Yeah, like Kunigod had to- always had always taught her like, "Hey, you know, if you take something from the earth, you have to thank the earth." And she was so delirious and hungry and thirsty, she saw some sap seeping from the tree and was like, "Uh, oh well, it's sustenance." And she went to eat it, but the way it's described, it sounds like it, she's making it out of the tree. Yeah, she's literally described as like kissing it and like flicking her tongue across yeah, yeah. it to oh, increase God. moisture. Yep. Oh, so it was awful. It was really... uh, I mean, there's some dendrophilia happening here. Someone wants to fuck a tree. Yeah, uh, and like that that's kind of the end of that chapter because she falls asleep very contented and full of delicious sap. tree sap. <laughs> oh, God. After yeah. she made out with it. You know, and, all right. And I know it sounds weird because I said I really loved this. I liked the story that yeah, that's the one scene that I was like, fuck this. This is dumb as hell. Why the hell did they write it this way? She could have just taken the sap off with her hand and eaten it. Why didn't they do that? Even if she just, you know, sucked it directly from the tree or whatever. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. I would have been fine with it. It just wants to describe is literally very loving and like passionate. Oh, I can I can read it. Oh, good. Um, Regale us with some hot tree kissing. She was hungry and she was thirsty. Another brief thought of the pack she had left in the dale at the beginning of this adventure made her sigh at her folly. But both hunger and thirst were muted. They might have tormented another part of her, detached from the person who sat under the tree, nursing the bloom, its petals as fine and firm as if carved from some treasured gemstone. On impulse, Brixia breathed more deeply of that fragrance. Now she was fully conscious of what she did then as she turned the tree behind her shoulder. Placing the flower carefully on the ground, she knelt and embraced the trunk with her arms, setting her mouth to its smooth bark. Her tongue touched that bark, swept back and forth across its surface. Although her flesh did not have the rasping abilities of Uta's, it would seem that she did so fret the wood. For there was moisture now rising to her licking. Drops oozed out which she could suck. Neither sweet nor sour, having a taste she could not honestly give any name to, that moisture dribbled, flowing faster as her her tongue continued to lick the bark, answering the sucking of her lips. She swallowed, sucked, swallowed. Thirst was gone, and hunger. Brixia was filled, revived. A murmuring enveloped her, blotting out the calls of the toad folk. Brixia lifted her head, laughed joyfully. Yeah, so that's (laughs) pretty hot and heavy... 
tree love. Yeah. yeah. So that's the only part of the book that I would say was actually terrible. Uh, yeah. That. But it's to one paragraph. Fair, I'm not gonna. She fucking... kind of does owe that tree a lot of thankfulness in a way because that bloom is then her like yeah. guide and savior. That's very true for the entire rest of the story. So that's a good question. Yeah. So do like actually, do I just you... insinuated that you owe trees sex if they help you. Yeah, so that's yeah, not, Chris. That's not what I. Was <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say yeah. So now we're gonna now we're gonna say that like if some someone or something helps you, you owe them a blowjob. No, like no, is no, that? No, no, no. I, just, <laughs> I was an appropriate thankful gesture, I suppose. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it seemed like the the tree was giving her something, but the tree probably got something out of that. I I guess so. Jesus, is that what this is? It's a a predator tree, actually. Drops the blooms in to save people. It's in on it with the frogs. Yeah. That's why they didn't actually go in all the way. All right, frogs, you bring me some nubile maidens. (laughs) (laughs) Only ones with hide bikinis, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, all right, so that's the only part of the book that I found terrible and weird and was like, this didn't need to be here. The rest of it's weird, but in, like But I in said, a good way. The, the- um, but, like, one paragraph isn't gonna make me blacklist the book and say it's bad. Like, yeah. I, you know, we're, we're not crazy. Yeah. Uh, but that is the one terrible part. So after this, Brixie is essentially led on a journey through other weirder areas. Like, there's, like, a desert area. Yeah, she comes to the desert, and she has the... She keeps the bloom with her because... It smells really good. It brings her a sense of peace, and it and it glows, uh, it glows at night. And she has no source of light, so like this is kind of invaluable. She's like, oh shit, all right. So she tucks it into her shirt because she doesn't have like she left. That's the thing. Like in that passage I read, it mentioned that like she had left her pack uh, at the at the ruin or whatever because she didn't think she, she was gonna. It. Yeah, she didn't think she was she, gonna like, be stashed inside. It up on a hill, actually. Yeah, she just didn't have time to go back to up. go back and get it. So she didn't have any of her stuff with her. So she had no way to make fire, no pockets. So she just stuffs it into her shirt, and um, she comes upon this like horrible bird woman, uh, like the bird woman that Chris was describing earlier. Um, kind of like a sexualized bird, giant bird. Like it's got more bird than human, and yeah. A, a vagina and womanly features, but like but a bird, wing otherwise. arms and a bird head that just makes bird noises. Yeah, like it's not really human, and it moves bird-like. Right, and so she kind of encounters this bird, and it's like wary of her. It's like and, with a flock of other birds. Well, it's it's kind of like it uses regular birds to kind of, um, uh, to kind of find. And, you know, specifically locate prey for it and, like, help it hunt. So they're like, it's like the Gar from yeah. the Sword of Truth series. And then the they flies. just kind of, like, awkwardly shuffle past each other, essentially. Yeah, well, yeah, they have this. <laughs> they co- kind of, like, stare at each other. <laughs> they have this confrontation. <laughs> and, the bir- and, like, the little little hunting birds are like, and they, like, dive at her. And she kind of bats them away. But the big bird is, like, a little more wary of her. And then... Yeah, like they have a brief skirmish, but ultimately just like, yeah, fuck you. She, and like, like, they just, just kind of menace each other and they yeah. sidle on by. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> fuck you, I guess. And then they just leave. Go back <laughs> into the desert or whatever. And and she doesn't want to go into the desert, obviously, because she doesn't have any water to bring with her. She like, slept in the desert for a night or something, I think. Yeah, she, she just, slept like, somewhere. at one point. Yeah. Under, like, some weird mounds. Of- and she makes some sandals for herself because the sand is really hot. And she, she realizes she has to go through the desert because she thinks she's being tricked by the i don't know the Whatever. spirit she of she's that being area led at this point whether by uta or by like another otherworldly force yeah. she like is self uh, uh you know she knows enough about herself to know like i don't even know why i'm going further except maybe to find the cat but even then i know it's not just that for some reason yeah. something else is leading me yeah she's very she's very like um self-aware i guess yeah. um but you know like like she was saying at the beginning of the book she's like my only life is just day to day. Like all I can do is think I about. I might as well see where this yeah, fucking goes. Right? Yeah. Like what else? It's not like she's got appointments to keep. <laughs> yeah, like a fucking you know she doesn't have a job to go to. Three so. a.m. Raider dodge again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she continues onward. Um, you know, kind of deciding that Uda's footprints could have been a trick. Uh, she thinks she might have been tricked a little bit, but whatever. Uh, and then she gets through. There's like a weird face in a rock. Uh, just kind of the, it's a. Just like with the bird woman, this is what I mean. My only kind of not really totally issue with the book because I guess it's just trying to be like, here's a bunch of weird shit that happens that's just really weird, right? There's like a face in the rock that's just there. Well, it's called the waste where where she's making yeah. her way through. So Eggardsdale, I guess, was on the border of the waste, and I guess the waste is full of like really weird trippy shit. 
Um, and pee humans don't usually go out there. It's, you know, so. like the, the face in the rock thing, there's an illustration of it. It's not really relevant to the plot no. at all. It's just like some weird shit that, along with the bird lady, it's just a weird encounter you have in the waste because you got to travel through there and you got to encounter some weird shit. I think the bloom helps her out with the bird lady somehow too. Doesn't yeah, it? yeah. That's why the she later realizes that's why the bird didn't attack her. Yeah, because it like ha- she had the mm-hmm. bloom on her, and that was enough to um, keep her safe enough until she gets she eventually catches back up with Marbin and Dwed and Uta. Um, sorry, I just randomly found the passage that explains who Kuniga is. Okay, so well, um, detour. Sorry, uh, slight detour. Um, Kuniga, not for the first time during her long wandering, Brixia thought of the mystery of her old nurse. Kunigod had been a woman of authority, ruling the house of Torgus as mistress, for Brixia had not the age nor the experience to manage the keep, and her father was cut off in one of the first battles with the invaders, his true fate never known. Since her mother had died at her birthing, there was no other lady of the Dale. But who was Kunigod? She was... How, how old had she been? Brixia held memories of her nurse from her own earliest years, and Kunigod had never seemed to age. She was always the same. Though she did not claim to be a wise woman with all the hidden knowledge, she had been a healer and a grower of herbs. Her garden had been the finest Brixia had ever seen. That judgment was not delivered because she herself had seen but little then beyond the boundaries of the Dale. No, travelers had marveled at it. While over the years before the invasion, merchant peddlers had brought Kunigod roots and seeds from far places. Twice a year she had gone to the abbey at Norsdale, taking Brixia with her when she was of an age to travel. And there Kunigod had spoken with the abbess and her mistress of herb, lore as an equal uh, she had as the lands people said green fingers for her plantings thrived and flourished and at each time of sowing in the fields kunigod had thrown away thrown always sorry the first handful of grain uttering the blessing of genora of the harvest as she so gave seed to the waiting ground and then this is basically the passage where brixie is like oh yeah i think my nurse was maybe a magic user like she might have been a wizard or some shit like she's kind of like realizing like oh yeah she never really aged and uh she's real good with plants and she taught me a lot of stuff yeah she knew all this weird shit and now Uh, i'm in like weird plant world maybe i should like try to think back to some of that stuff because i mean there is a general theme of this book of like woods magic and like witchy yeah but it's it's not it's not explicit. It's really well done in that yeah. you don't really come to understand it until the end. Um, and yeah, and, and basically this is the part where Brixia is like, did that tree shelter me because it knew that I was like kin to Kunigod or like did I was I able to find it because yeah know how to like do this like green magic stuff yeah yeah so she's like learning about herself and about her connection with this green magic during this journey um even though it's it's done you know it's very mysterious the whole time you're never sure what's what force is acting on who who made a deliberate choice and whether that's really you know coincidence or because someone willed it or something like that yeah yeah magic the idea of it as a whole he doesn't even necessarily I mean I guess with like the shifting lands and everything there's definitely like weird shit that's like not physically explainable but yeah. for the most part like it's like you know you picked a, a weird bud that has weird properties just as you would in real life or something you well know. I mean except this one like glows like a lamp yeah and wards off evil toads yeah sure but maybe there's a plant out there that glows in the dark a little bit and some frogs don't like yeah maybe that's true i mean that's, that sounds possible yeah. i mean um so as she continues in her journey she does eventually meet up with lord marbin and duet again um at this uh and uta at this um this lake lakes, like- yeah there's like this huge lake and duet's like like oh what are you doing here again she's like i don't know man like <laughs> like Honestly, we like we went out that weird passage we ended up in the waste like fuck it fuck i know yeah you like, have my like i thought my cat was with you <laughs> and he's like kind of mad at her for like no reason and then i think he's upset with having to deal with lord marvin yeah because he's basically, basically like his nurse al- yeah he's like he's an alzheimer's patient yeah basically marvin has like no clue what's going on but then sometimes he'll like have these moments of clarity where he's like oh, this is what I have to do, this is what's going on. They're like, okay, cool, like, what, tell us more about what's happening. Um, And he sings this song about Zarthor's Bane. It's towards the front of the book, more than the back, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, he sings a song at some point that um, talks about this legend of uh, an ancient king or something that was undone 
by some kind of a bane. It doesn't really describe much beyond uh, that. Here, here we go. Okay, I got it. Yeah. I got it. You're going to give us a tune? You're going <laughs> to yep. try to sing? I don't know what the tune is. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to sing that. There's no notes. I don't know what this is. Anyway, give it your best. <laughs> I'm not going to sing okay. this. Although I might steal it for a song. <laughs> that would be cool, actually. Yeah. Um, Down came the power by Elder Cast. Fierce pride, strength meant to last. Out of the dark at his call came that to make him lord of all. But Zarsthor bared the sword of mind, raised Will's shield, vowed by death, heat and heart not to yield. Starbane blazed, grim and bright, darkness triumphed over light. Zarsthor's land fallow lies, his fields stark bare. None may guess in aftertime who held lordship there. Thus by the shame of Eldor's pride, death and ruin came to ride. The stars have swung. Is the time ripe to face once more the force of night? Who dares come in dark and shame to test the force of Zarsler's bane? And, you know, he sings that song and everyone, and the kid's like, yeah, he fucking sings that. I don't know what yeah. the hell. Like, he's just, he just thinks he's crazy. Like, he just thinks he's lost his mind. Brixie kind of gets a little fixated on it somewhat. Not, like, super obsessed, but she, like, kind of remembers yeah, she's the song like, a lot. Yeah, she's like, oh, she's like, she thinks about it. Yeah, thinks about it a lot. And she's like, I really want to know what that meant. You know, and he brings it up again when they're at the lake, and eventually something triggers. I think it's actually the bud again, the flower. Yeah, she uh, that's something able to like light the lake in a certain okay, way. Okay, okay, yeah. So what happens is like, Duet is like, oh yeah, he won't leave the lake. Like he keeps talking about on Yak being here, but what is the hell is on Yak? I don't know what he's saying. He's just crazy. And then she talks to him and gets a little information out of him. And something just makes her set the bud on the lake. And the bud just zooms out like a little Energizer bunny out to the middle of the lake on its own. And by its light, you can see under the water, there's a fucking city under the lake. <laughs> like, that, like we're going, we're going full-blown fucking, uh, 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 what, what's the... Atlanta? No, no, um... <laughs> Lovecraft, Lovecraft. Dream thing of unknown Kadath or something, no, right? That's no. a book that... No, the fish people. Yeah, that's <sighs> Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. It happens in that. Oh, I, I, I was thinking of... um. Dagon, not Dagon. Is it Dagon? They, yeah, there's a there's a bunch of Lovecraft No, not Dagon. The, the fucking... The, 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 the... Rilie? No. Indra, Indran Rilie Cthulhu sleeps... Oh, he sleeps in under the, the sunken right. city. Yeah, I was thinking of a specific story. All right, well, it, that <sighs> this is a very Lovecraftian feel too. Insmith, goddamn it, Insmith, yeah, that's Jesus Christ. In Bloodbath, Bloodbath, in <laughs> Bloodborne, they have a whole level that is kind of yeah, like an underwater yeah. city. Um, thing. in I think the underwater city in the Cthulhu Mythos is really yeah, in Insmith. I don't think Insmith was ever underwater. It's on the coast. Yeah. It's a Massachusetts town on the coast, but that's about it. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be Ipswich or yeah, something. Yeah, essentially, yeah. yeah. But that, it's a very Lovecraftian-influenced kind yeah. of a feel. Yeah, so the fucking city in a lake, and, and you know, basically Duet at that point is like, oh, <laughs> there's Anyak. Okay. And, you know, and Marvin's like, oh, Anyak, blah, blah. Just dives into the lake. And, yeah, the and, they're, and they're like, hey, can you not drown yourself? Because he was literally just going to walk into the lake, into the city. And so by the by the powers of Brixia and Duet combined, they drag him out of the lake. Because he, like, they go to sleep one night and then, like, Brixia is woken up by Dwed like, accosting her, saying, where is he, you outlaw slut, for some reason? Yeah, yeah that, that's the only that's the only <laughs> other thing in the book that made me go, what the fuck? Like, he smacks her across the face and calls, yeah, calls her an outlaw slut or, or something. <laughs> yeah, she says, you outlaw slut. Yeah, and, like, I don't even understand where that, like, that came out of nowhere. Like, there was no, there had been no glimpses of misogyny or swearing in this book and then just for no fucking reason real upset that he can't find lord marvin yeah because you know he's he's his page he's like sworn to protect him because there's nobody else left anyway, to take it turns care of out him. marvin took all their weapons and ran down to where he found a dam blocking the water and he was just trying to loosen everything so that the water would drain from the lake so they could go into the city without killing themselves yeah and, he, and so they're like oh you're kind of right actually yeah. and then they help him you know, they dodge out at the last second from the water rushing out or what have you. And then all of a sudden, 
there's a domed city at the bottom of the lake that they can check out and they go there and they climb some walls essentially yeah they have to do a lot of like intricate wall climbing and jumping to get to place i I don't understand why they don't just walk through the fucking archways like why are they climbing walls and jumping i I don't know like the things were ruined or something like there's no stairs to get to where they want because they definitely want to go to like a particular structure yeah yeah whatever because marvin was focused on going there yeah i guess and and uh, uta i think uta also might have led them yeah and so they get into the structure and uh there are in this room with a pillar there's a there's a room with a pillar in it and the pillar sort of starts expelling these dark tendrils yeah, these dark gaseous tendrils, basically. They envelop Dwed and pretty much like take him out of the picture. Yeah, there's actually a pretty sick illustration of that in the book. Yeah, it looks pretty post. cool about that. There's another illustration of like um, Brixia like holding uh, the flower up near the, the the pillars with the pillar with like the the tentacles coming out of it, or whatever. That's a double page thing. Looks very nice. Yeah. Yep. Um, and essentially, the gas eventually takes over all the whole room and any anywhere in area and then Brixia wakes up in the past yeah she somehow is kind of inside of a memory of what of what the song about Zarthor's Bane was based on and she sees the was events the unfold present before in that room before uh, the time travel thing yeah happened. oh the cat had the box the cat yeah Uta has a weird box for some reason yeah Right. Oh, fuck. I don't think either of us remember this well. At um, some point, this little box shows up, and, like, uh, it, it, it's not uh, even, like, remarkable looking or anything. No, it's just, it's like, just, a weird thing. And that... Uta has it in her mouth. Yeah. And she gives it... Does she give it to... Yeah, she gives it to Brixia. Yeah. <sighs> I forget at what point she I don't remember when this. that... Yeah, I don't remember when it happens, though. I feel like it's after... She has the vision. Yeah, this part's a little disorienting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this book is disorienting in some ways. Um, so she has this vision and basically sees, like, what happened with Zarsor's Bane. And the whole thing was, uh, what was, he the was guy's a, name? A, He was a king of the area. His brother, like, took over the keep, or his friend took over the keep that he was the rightful, he thought he was supposed to own, and he comes charging back in with an army or something. Yeah, Eldor, um, yeah. I think it was his brother. And Eldor's an asshole, and I think they were both some kind of magician. Zarstor, uh, like, leaves to go do some, like, army shit. Yeah. And Eldor's like, well, it's just mine now. Yeah, like, fuck you, it's mine now. Which I and, guess it would be while he was gone anyway, right? So, like, yeah, I don't know, he, maybe he was just being a dick and be like, no, it's not your turn to play with the kingdom. Mom said I could have it <laughs> for another week. Yeah, and so Eldor, Eldor is just a huge dick and is dabbling in dark magic, basically. Um, and has this spell cast on Zarsthor and his house and holdings. So, you know, we're talking like Reigns of Castamere, yeah. except, except more magical than yeah. just murdering everyone. Um, this is that banquet scene I mentioned yeah, earlier it's the, with it, all the yeah. weird people. There's like bird people in there and Zarsthor and like doesn't rock like that. people or something. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Because, well, because Eldor started associating with all the evil creatures, like the weird bird people and the toad people and like whatever else exists out in the waste. And yeah, so basically like Zarstor goes on this military campaign, comes back and is like, the fuck, Eldor? Are you bringing all these assholes in my house? Like, these are all evil jerks. What are you doing? This That's just a bird with tits over yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, like, that lady, she's made of plants. Yeah. Like, this is not a lady, yeah. you know? And so he's like, well, you know, what are you doing bringing all these sketchy folks around? And Eldor's like, fuck you, it's my castle now. And he's like, ha I cast this bane upon you. And basically, like, he used this evil magic and it trapped both of their spirits to, like, uh, kind of be forever fighting, I guess, and and also, so Zarstor's house was crushed yeah, by it and cursed somehow that cursed, the whole, everything yeah. would never work out for his family ever yep. again. Yeah, basically, at some point, uh, Brixia touches the flower and the box together. It's at, it's when she's like meets up with Zarstor and Eldor like fighting in eternity. I forget how she slides into that. Yeah, I like, don't know, but she somehow ends up. Yeah, it, it like they it, end it up switches from the banquet scene to like. Oh, I remember! I remember how all this ha- uh, the spirits like possess Dwed and Marbin. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. okay. That I remember the spirits possessing them. 
how she ends up slipping into the and seeing having this vision i, I don't that's know that's the but... black tentacle things yeah yeah the black gas that's in there i guess that's how she gets from like the pillow room to the banquet right hall. right i forget how she gets from the it might have been like the flower leading her again or yeah, something to like it might have been or this uta. weird area where i think it was uta yeah zarstor and eldor have been fighting for eternity over who gets to have zarstor's bane yeah which is a physical object as well as a curse yes Yes, it is. And so Brixia just somehow knows to put the flower in the box and end the curse. Yeah, basically, that's one of the other things in the story where she like yeah. she just kind of knows how to do the right thing at the well, right but, moment. But, but I like that how they handled it, though, because she's she thinks through it and she's like, I think I'm I think I'm. A, a green magic user holy fuck like so that was it's i was like kind of fine to with learn it. to trust a weird inner voice or something yeah she gets possessed by a spirit for a second too I yeah think. She, like, but she something talks through her mouth yes but she brushes it i think it was eldor but she brushes yeah. it off real quick and then he hops into duet or marbin or something yeah and um yeah so i i don't have a problem with it because the whole book is her like slowly coming to the realization that kunigal was you know um not scheming or uh, groom was grooming her to become uh, a green magic wise woman basically and she just didn't know because she you know yeah and yeah. at the right moment she knows she like feels an intuition that i should tuck yeah bud and the box together yeah put the weed in the stash box <laughs> <laughs> she did keep referring to it as bud the, yeah. bud the whole time so yeah. I mean, you know it, it might just be magic weed <laughs> oh it is green magic oh my god it's magic weed yeah, chris you, totally. you blew this gotta, whole thing wide you open stash the weed away <laughs> to solve all the issues there won't be any fighting anymore if you nope. just hide the so anyway when she touches it together it like it, wherever she is like starts to bloom with like life or something and zarstor and elder are like actually I don't even know why we were fighting anyway, man. It's like, it's really cool and chill around here. There's no reason for us to fight. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> bros, bros good, before evil magic, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, so like I don't even, Yeah, she fixed it anyway. It's fine now. The land's going to be good. Why don't we just walk off into eternity together, bro? And then they do. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess that part was a little dumb. <laughs> it is a little bit like, oh, oh, oh right, all right, cool. And then Marvin and Dwed wake up and they're like, what happened? And Brixie is like, save your asses, but not really. She doesn't <laughs> yeah. say it like that. But she's like, oh, well, I fixed our problem. I and realized I am a, a wise witch or something. Yeah, and Marvin is like, I don't know. He comes out of his like weird days, right? Not totally, I think. No. I think because he got like the way he got that way is like he got hit on the head after a battle that they ran from and he just plain wasn't great in the brain area anymore after that so i don't think that's a magic thing i think it's just uh some straight up brain damage that is probably unreversible especially if you've had a couple of spirits floating inside your brain yeah that'll do it so that's pretty much how the book wraps up it, yeah she doesn't she's like pretty resistant to the power even at the very end of the book but duet and uh marvin are like nah you should probably embrace it seems like you're pretty good at it you know with the whole saving us and ending a curse etc etc <laughs> yeah so maybe this is like an origin story of a character that appears in later books or maybe appeared in a previous book or something like that it kind of reads a little bit like that to me like this is a character that was in another witch world book that people wanted to know or the author wanted to explore yeah oh what- yeah oh sorry the other part of the ending is marvin is like oh we're i'm just gonna like rebuild on yak and Dwed's like, but what about Eggersdale? Like, where we're from? He's like, nah, that shit's fucked. Like, let's redo this. <laughs> like, Dwed's basically. Like, you, we're acting like, uh, yeah. it was fine. Yeah. God damn it. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> sorry, are you more, sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's pretty much the end of the book there. Yeah, that, that is. You know, Brixia begins to accept her magical inclination, I suppose. And her and Uta are reunited, and Marvin's just like, well, okay, now that the Bane is taken care of, I'll start up Anyak again. Yep, yep. And I mean, I re- yeah, I just really, I thought it was written pretty well. I liked the characters. I loved the way that they were portrayed. Like, Brixia and Uta are a really cool team. Just a fucking adventure story yeah. about having a weird adventure. And it's a, it's a strong female character that isn't... Uh, isn't sexualized. There's no romance, and no like, one gives there's a no fuck about getting down with each other. Yeah, no, none of that. And They're I just, all just trying to survive. Yeah, and I like that. Like, she's a strong female character, but like I said at the very beginning, she's it's not like 
the strong female character <laughs> says fuck all men and cuts <laughs> off any dicks near her. Like, you know, it doesn't... I like that it doesn't go that far afield. It's, it's very realistic. Um, I love the way she thinks about things. She's very practical. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was great. I was like, I was like, when's the next Brixie and Uda book coming out? Yeah. Oh, well, shit. There this might is... be more. So we, we should check well, those out. So, yeah, this might be the first, like, very... It's been 40 years. I'm still waiting. <laughs> Not like Gurren. Oh, oh no! I hope Andre Norton isn't anything like George R. R. Martin. Uh, so, uh, um, yeah, like I would thoroughly recommend this yeah, book if dude. you're looking for a 1970 like pulp-ish thing. And I have to say, a, a thing that really interested me that I kind of wanted to talk about this is like this is a book that you know Andre Norton. I don't know how popular he was, but it's just a random 1970s fantasy book that I plucked off a shelf. Yeah, not necessarily high status or anything, and it's way better any of the shelf picked garbage that we have just randomly taken from the modern from era the, the modern yeah. era so the question i have it obviously was harder to get yourself published back then i don't know how hard it was to get on the ace publishing roster or whatever yeah i have no idea so i'm now i it always comes back to this interesting question of like a lot of the barriers for entry for distri- distribution are a lot lower nowadays and that results in a lot more content which is kind of a good thing because it gives us stuff to pour through for sure <laughs> it gives you know Different viewpoints, you know, for people that might not have had easy access to be published before for whatever reason, whether money or status or, you know, race or culture or something like that. So that part's cool. But does that curation also result in the fact that you could be reasonably sure anything from like the 70s or 80s you could pick up off the thing and it wouldn't be an absolute train wreck? I I mean, there's bad books from the 60s. I I was going to say, I think maybe we just got lucky. It's also possible. We have three others common era sci-fi books to come through those all look real bad we'll see yeah um yeah i don't know i mean i do obviously you know having a form of artistic expression be within reach of more people of you know of more people and a more diverse audience absolutely that's great but yeah i mean if it it just means that there's more trash in the world i it's a really tough tough, line that's the i think the center point of this whole show is what is there to, acceptable to publish or should anything be put like? Yeah, I know. And I I don't know. It, it's tough because part of me wants to be like, fuck these terrible books. Nobody should have published them. But but then, you know, I, I try not to be. Uh, I don't know. You don't want to get too like Nietzsche about things, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I didn't yeah. like this book, so it should never have been. written. Yeah. Like, you but know. there's definitely a line for just like this is terrible. It's absolute crap and so that's kind of the one thing that i was always thinking about while i read this was like this is just like i said i just plucked this off a shelf it somehow survived its way onto that particular cart in amoeba records and just by me deciding that that was a cool cover for my one dollar i plucked it off the shelf and it was a fun enjoyable read that i had for a couple hours yeah I mean, I, I really liked it for the most part, you know. Um, I, you know, the illustrations are pro- perhaps the only, like, real... Yeah, that was bit, that but, was a little weird, but... but there's some good parts, too, to the illustrations, so, like... Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that if you see anything by Andre Norton, pick it up, because it's probably going to be pretty all right. It might be decent. It's probably decent. Yeah. Um, yeah, right, so, so I guess uh, this brings us to the end of the episode. Um, read this fucking book. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah. You like pulpy side of, you know, fantasy shit with a weird, maybe slight Lovecraftian tinge? Well, yeah, with a, with a, a female lead, a cool cat sidekick, and but it's not lame. I know that sounded <laughs> yeah, yeah. a little lame. It's not lame. Um, no, yeah, no romance, no bullshit. It's just a good story. Adventure. Um, all right. So uh, at this point, we're just going to thank our patrons. So thank you, Dari, Greg, Veronica, Will, D, and Jared. Thanks a lot for joining us on this terrible, terrible adventure. Uh, actually, thank you for joining us on this this nice, pleasant adventure this time. Uh, the, you know, the money that we uh, so kindly get from our Patreon helps us uh, pay for these bad books and pay for hosting. And uh, that really helps us out a lot because, you know, we're not making any money off this shit and we never will. So we really appreciate it. Perhaps not as comedic of an episode this time, but I yeah, think the sorry. next one we have lined up. Uh, in I, our no, 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 no. Don't you let me have this. Okay, okay. You let me have this good episode. Chris, shut the fuck up. All right. If you too would like Long to be female character. <laughs> 
if you too would like to become a patron, um, just head over to patreon.com slash join slash terrible book club to check out our extra content and rewards. Um, our reward tiers are pretty cheap. So if you have a dollar or five to spare every month, please throw it our way. Uh, if not, you know, you can always say hi to us. We love hearing from people. You can reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can also send us emails uh, to terriblebookclub at gmail.com. Um, and lastly, you know, if you enjoy the show, please just share it on social media. Tell some friends about it. You know, it helps us out a lot. Um, wherever we get a shout out online that, that you know, really it, helps it, helps it, get yeah, some helps more listeners. And, some of our enthusiasm to continue on the crap train and sacrificing <laughs> our time to Terriblo. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually sacrificing a whole day to Terriblo yeah. today. I, um, for, this is one of the only Saturdays I have off. Um, and I've sacrificed it to to reblow and to hanging out with my friend Paris. Yeah, yeah, we've been uh, been eating pizza, uh, drink about books, drink some tea, chat about books. Yeah, it's been a good day. Uh, we got one more to go for today, and you'll hear that in two weeks. So um, for now, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, Paris. Bye, Chris. Bye.